0: yeah
1: hey everybody it's richard harrison scott Lee's here with another edition of the surf and sales podcast uh i'm really excited about this guest because i i just sort of uh, learned of sarah um maybe the last couple of months uh but it's sarah brazier uh from gong and cool thing we just found out before we hit record was that brazier means small fire and if you pay attention to anything she does online there's always a little bit of a fire in her belly like you can just tell Um, you know, so we're, we're really excited. So Sarah, thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we could finally, finally chit chat about the wonderful world of sales.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to flip this around because usually at the end of our show, we'll ask people, um, Hey, how can we help you? Um, is there something we can do for you? And, and, and I sort of gave you that heads up and you said, well, I just need more leads. And we're like, wait, Granted, this is April 21st, and you know the world's in an unusual place. We thought, you know, how could you need more leads? Like Gong is supposedly one of these companies that's just hitting it all the time. So, you know, without throwing uh, anybody over the, under the bus over there because we're You mean you
2: mean Gong. Russell or
1: Udi? Yeah, Udi. <laughs> would, would wouldn't it, right? dare
0: mention their names.
1: Right. Uh, how are things going? How is business for you guys?
0: It's. I mean, it's like going. It's going. I think right. that everybody is making everybody's making uh changes, and I think it seems like the conversation is really like if you can adapt quickly to the pandemic and if you have something that can still help people out uh during the pandemic, then you still have a shot at selling but I work enterprise accounts so i'm working with companies that are like you know a thousand employees to uh seven thousand five hundred employees and um like everybody's got a, a spend freeze or a budget freeze or a hiring freeze, and so that's like the objection that I keep coming up against on all my cold calls is like I can't I can't evaluate anything because I don't have a budget anymore. It's frozen. Um, it's, and
2: it's less it's less about needing more leads and more about how the heck do I overcome that particular yeah. Thing.
0: Or you could send me the leads of the people who actually have money.
2: <laughs> you just need the Glenn Gary movies. right? Yeah,
0: someone if if anyone's got some money in their back pocket, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I got a gong, I'm gonna sell it. <laughs> how
1: are how are you adjusting to that though, right? Because this, this is the, the quintessential question of how do I talk to my customers beyond telling me to be more empathetic? Beyond like, you know, we had a conversation Scott and I did last night with John Barrows, and it's kinda like and please stop with the, I hope you're well and your family safe and healthy. Like we get it, we know it. Um, but is that just us being grumpy old salesmen? And, and I do mean gender specific. Um, or is that, is it, no, that's kind of true, Richard. Like I've, I've stopped, I've moved away from that.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of was not doing it in the first place because it always feels uh, empty when someone is clearly reaching out to you, prospect to prospect you and Mm -hmm. they say something along the lines of like hey i hope you're doing really well like i was like you don't know me i don't know you
1: (laughs) so what do you do so how do you how do you how do you approach that
0: yeah um so so the way that i've been thinking about going about my my prospecting and my outreach is it's i mean it's different it's different for the emails that i send versus the cold calls that i make versus the linkedin touches that i have i think All those are like uniquely different. So on cold calls, like the first thing I do is I say, I know it's a weird time to be making cold calls, but I am an SDR and I have to keep doing my job. So can I just tell you what we do? And then you tell me if it's a conversation that you're interested in having. That's just like my first ask on a call. And typically people are like, sure. And I've been having more people pick up the phone and having longer conversations with prospects it's just a question of like, do they have the bandwidth and the emotional energy? And I, cause I don't think that the budgeting freeze is like a true reason why they're not taking the call. I think it's literally just like I'm talking to people who are running these massive sales teams and they've all just gone remote and uh, they're not convinced that Gong is like going to actually like help their team out. And so I just think I have to get better at objection handling. <laughs> <Well, clears
2: throat> I can tell you as somebody who's had teams, maybe not of 5,000, but um, hundreds, I I would not be surprised if a lot of that right now is just, I'm worried about so many different things right now. I have zero fucking bandwidth to try to think about any new thing whatsoever. Exactly. I'm I'm not sure that it has anything to do with like whether Gong has value or not. It's just like, oh my God, I can't even deal with some other new idea, you know, right now.
0: And that's that's kind of like the vibe that I'm getting from from people when I cold call them. And I, like I don't think anyone's opening up their emails. I'm sending emails just because I, I gotta send emails and it helps me with my cadences. And um and and when I send an email, what I do is I go and I listen to I go back through and I check out people's like um, quarterly earnings calls. And I the first thing I do is I search their transcript for for COVID 19 or coronavirus or any of the variations. And I just see if they've started talking about it. some people haven't had, had uh, a quarterly earnings call yet where they've, where they addressed it because when they did start, like it was their last call was like before that. They're all
1: starting this week. They all start this week. Right. Yeah.
0: And, and so I've been going through and trying to figure out, okay, like, have they been talking about it? How are they talking about it impacting their business and using that in my email messaging, uh, or just trying to figure out what the priorities are. What is their CEO saying on these calls? Um, and then sending messaging around like this is what your CEO is saying. So, so if they say it's important, then you should. Just have to.
1: out of curiosity, because I I know I know that you probably have this process regardless of the current situation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because you're going into enterprise, and this comes up all the time. How many accounts do you prospect in a day? Granted, there could be seven people at that account, right? Like, you know, because it's not it's you know it's not a hundred dials and fifty emails. I can't imagine you're able to put use that level of output. Um, like, what is your output like at the enterprise? Yeah.
0: So, so like, like I spent yesterday morning putting together a sequence. I'm looking it up, which is why I'm not looking at the camera. I put together a sequence. It's like um, 16 touches over phone, uh, email and um, LinkedIn. And I found everybody at that company that could be a potential prospect. And I made the messaging, specific to some stuff that their CEO was talking about, uh, on their quarterly earnings call, the last one that they had. And he did mention coronavirus and he talked about, um, a couple different, different things that some people would say would be like a problem, but how they could use them to their benefit of like, these are challenges that everyone's facing. So I like put together my, my first touch email and I sent it to like 50 people. And one of my prospects I know she forwarded it to her entire team and they opened it like 50 times, she still won't take a meeting with me.
1: <laughs> but how long did that take you? And is that one company or is that 10 different that's, companies?
0: Yeah, that's one company. And it took me, I don't know, it probably took me like 20 minutes to, to find that stuff um from their quarterly earnings call because i use a tool called sentio and it's not a tool for sales it's actually a tool for people who are like trying to invest on the stock market and it's sentio it all- it's so cool it's great it's kind of like seeking alpha do you, do you know seeking alpha yeah yeah it does except it's it's better than seeking alpha and it's got a better better uh, search function and so I just go through and I just look at like whatever press releases are coming out from the company. Cause they have all of that collected as well as like all of their, their transcripts from their, their any kind of investor relations call. And, um, yeah, so I use that and, I, and you can create alerts and I'm probably not even using the tool to its full like functionality, but if, it, if you're working enterprise companies, like publicly traded enterprise companies or strategic companies, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, so, so what are you what are
2: you having the most success with? What channel is having the most success for you right now? Dealing with these enterprise, um,
0: actually LinkedIn. LinkedIn is like the best spot right
2: now. <laughs> so was what it, was what's it the two volume, months ago? Sorry, Scott. What, what volume are you putting out on on LinkedIn? Like how many? Is it connection requests? Is it in mails? Is it just engaging on other people's posts? And to what what level are we talking about? Like. 10 20 200 a day i'm curious real specifically about that stuff
0: yeah so what i do is i my flow is like research the company figure out what the problems are so that's like 20 minutes put together this email sequence that has phone calls and linkedin touches and then um send it out to all the people who should based off of their title and their linkedin says care about what i have what this email says And then I send that email, I send a connection request and then I cold call them. So after this like podcast that we do, I'll go and make all my cold calls. I've got like 80 calls I need to make today. I'll probably skip some of them because I bet some of them I'll be like, oh, I shouldn't put you in that sequence. (laughs) Oops, (laughs) my bad. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) I'll, so then like when I connect with people, so I'll just send a connection request on LinkedIn. And I stopped adding notes because I read somewhere that only like, Like adding a note to a connection request only increases the likelihood that someone will accept that request by 2%.
2: Yeah, I can tell you who wrote that, and I disagree with him big time, but go Mm -hmm. ahead.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. Well, Wait,
2: wait, who wrote it, Scott? Come on, this is our
0: podcast. Jake Jake wrote
2: that. Who did? Dude, I could call out anybody, but you don't have to push me. Jake Dunlap wrote that, and I told him I I disagreed with it. Yes, yeah. if, I, I, if I can get a 0.02% lift at scale, I will do it every single time. And as somebody who gets hundreds of connection requests, I don't even bother looking at ones that don't leave a note. Mm-hmm. So I guess it just depends who you're, who you're going after. If you're sending connection requests to people who have a small network, it might not matter. If you're sending connection requests to somebody who's maxed out on connections, you better fucking send me a note. Because otherwise I'll never even see you.
1: So Sarah, there's there's your there's your there's your challenge, is you yeah. have to you know go and now do it back Scott's way for twenty five of them today the and see what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll play around with it. I'm happy to play around with it. But it, depend, was,
2: it depends who you're sending it to, Richard.
0: Yeah, I mean if if I'm sending it to a CRO of a, of a five thousand person company, I know that they're probably well. First of all, they're probably not using their LinkedIn. So if they are, I'd be super lucky. There's a couple people who are. And it just depends, because you need to go check. You need to check, like, what's their activity level. Like, if someone doesn't have an activity on LinkedIn, if they're not even liking, it doesn't mean that they need to be posting. They need to be, like, liking stuff or engaging I feel stuff. like,
1: well, I, say, actually, yeah. I feel like you have two mouses, and you have multiple screens, and you're, like, I checking LinkedIn yeah. on this side, and you're checking, <laughs> you know, your cadence and sequence over on this side. Like, you're dialed in. I think.
2: <clears throat> I, I don't even look at, I understand why you're looking at the activity. I, I, don't, I don't look at the activity only because it takes me like an extra click. If I just look at your profile, I scroll down and see how many followers you have. And I can tell based on how many followers you have, whether or not you use LinkedIn on any kind of consistent basis.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. Well, anyway, just to get to the weeds. <laughs> I send a I send connection requests, and then whoever accepts them, then I try to start a conversation and I, I think try like to start
1: a conversation because you know, that is the, the annoyance, right. That, that at least in our world, right. Don't send me a connection request. And then when I accept it, send me a meeting request. Right. Like,
0: yeah, no. yeah, I try to just have like a really casual conversation about either something they posted or something they liked or something that's happening in their company or some mm-hmm. kind of current event, just like anything that's just like, I don't like saying like, Hey, how are you? Or like, how's your right. day been? Cause I feel like, like that feels very. Ingenuine. Do you ask
1: for a meeting in that first conversation no. or do you try? Uh, that's the key. You're not asking, you're trying to add value and create value and create relevance.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm right. just trying to talk. I, I really, my thought is like, I just want to talk to you and figure out it. If it's even worth trying to pitch you.
2: So I've, yeah. I, have a, I have a question for you. What will you do when you have reached your connection limit? Cause you won't be able to send connection requests anymore.
0: I, like are you talking about when there's like, a thirty
2: thousand connection limit on, on LinkedIn, right? Well, I've, <clears throat> so, I've got I've
0: got thousands of connections to go.
2: <laughs> you'll you'll eventually you're eventually gonna hit it. And based on the way that you've built your brand and all the content that you put out consistently, you're gonna hit it faster than you than you think. <clears throat> but then you won't be able to do this strategy that you're doing right now of sending people connection requests. So I'm curious if you've if you've thought that far ahead about what you will do. Like I cannot send a connection request. I have not been able to send one for years. The only way I can is if I go in and delete people and and remove connections. So I'm curious if you've thought about that um, yet in in any kind of context or or depth.
0: No, I haven't thought about it too much because it hasn't it hasn't like posed a a problem. Because I mean, like I just haven't been like I mean I've only
1: what if I did
0: Scott yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I'll be working like SMB accounts, and I'll be an account executive, and it'll be it'll be different, and it'll all be great.
1: <laughs> um, Sarah, when when did you start posting on LinkedIn?
0: Like, um, I don't know, sometime at the beginning of Q. It was at the beginning of Q four of last year, very recently.
1: Okay. Like it's it's
0: been a little over six months.
1: And how long do you? how long did it take you to feel like you started to get traction?
0: Well, that was the weird thing is I posted on LinkedIn once and um, like really like wrote my, wrote something that wasn't, that was like something I posted instead of sharing something that Gong had asked us to share, you know, some kind of, you know, Devin Reed article or something, but I posted once and it just like blew up. I've never had that much traction since, but it got like, um, I don't know like a couple like ten thousand likes and uh, several hundred comments, and it had like one point five million views and uh, and then suddenly I had hundreds of connection requests like that just came in for for days and suddenly I had a following of people and then I posted again like a day later or two days later, and that got hundreds of comments and thousands of likes not as many as the first one because i think i posted something not very interesting and so and then that's just how i that's how i built a brand as i accidentally stumbled into <laughs> overnight.
2: overnight success
0: yeah it was i was like uh, hopefully not a one-hit wonder but it's kind of like hey <laughs> what <have laughs>
2: you, so what have you
1: learned about that since then like so now you're into it at nine eight or nine months you have ridiculously great following you understand the social game Um, you know, you, have even gotten creative in the way you write textually. Um, what are your three biggest takeaways so far?
0: So I think as specifically as an SDR, I think what building a brand has, has done for me is it has opened doors into conversations with people who typically don't want to speak to me. Like nobody wants to talk to an SDR. Because an SDR is asking you to take a meeting that you don't want to have, to go to probably sit through a demo that you didn't actually want to see. So you have to be really good as an SDR to get the meeting to get someone to pay attention to you to come to, you know. So typically, like what's what's really happened is that there are people who now follow me who belong to companies that are in my book of accounts, and I can just reach out to them and start a conversation. And and typically because they follow my content, they feel like they know me to some degree, and they feel really comfortable sharing more things, sharing things about their company or the struggles that they're having and, um, are also willing to like give me introductions to people. Um, so that's pretty,
2: I think that's that's a really, really great point that, that you've made right there. And I haven't heard anybody frame it that way. It's, it's like once you have a brand, people feel like they know you a little bit, And then they're therefore more willing to share details about themselves and about their company. And that helps you learn more about them and what their needs are and therefore helps you, um, you know, throughout the sales process and that buyer's journey. That's really interesting perspective. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I've gotten like pretty much booked all of my meetings for the past couple months, for the past, for the past pandemic, (laughs) almost every meeting that I booked has been through. Just
1: out of curiosity. And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. But in the last thirty days, right? So it's April twenty first, right, yeah. twenty twenty. In the last thirty days, how many times have someone tried to recruit you?
0: Oh, um, probably like a couple, a couple dozen. I don't know. People try to. For some Wait, reason, when, people try to.
1: <laughs> in thirty days during when massive layoffs are happening, and I want to, I want people to understand this, like that people one are still hiring. Mm-hmm. They're looking for quality right? and they will come to you if you, if, and, and do, how much do you think your brand has built that?
0: I think my brand has built that entirely, almost entirely because I would get hit up by a recruiter before I had a brand, you know, maybe, maybe once every couple months, you know, when, when I feel like companies go through like binges of needing more SDRs because it's such a high turnover role. And the longer you've been an SDR at a company, the more recruiters are like, ah, oh, this person probably knows what they're doing. Um, well, they also, they, do. they also
2: recognize that your expiration date is coming soon for being willing to be an SDR because you most likely want to move to be an AE.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I would get hit up you know, a couple times, but then when I, when I started having a brand, I'd get hit up all the time. I'd get hit up for not just SDR roles. I'd mostly be hit up for account executive roles, a couple times like marketing roles, sometimes recruiting roles or SDR leadership roles, just kind of like all kinds of things.
1: So what, so this, and, and I think this, this is a testament to Gong, right? Um, what makes Gong such a great company that you're not really trying to leave, right? Cause I'm sure people will throw money at you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I think that there are like a couple things. Um the The first thing is that, I I like the I like what I'm selling and I like who I'm selling to. I really like talking to sales leaders. Um, the The second thing, and I think it's like the more important thing, and it's more a testament to the company that that Gong has built, is the the leadership is really fantastic. Um, and like a, a couple examples of that is um, like Gong is all about empowering you to do things outside of just your ordinary job. If you want to, don't have to, but if you want to, you can. So when I, my first like two weeks into the company, I think it was my, my first week into the company. I found that they were shooting a music video and I was like, I want to be in that. And they're like, Oh, okay, sure. And then they made me the lead singer in the music video. And then <laughs> and I don't then,
1: realize, I didn't realize that was you. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't sound good. It's not very good sounding, but that's okay. <laughs> they let me do it. And then um, I had been talking to Amit, our CEO in the kitchen, and like Amit knows my name and, and he like talks to me. And I, he asked me what I had done over the weekend. And at the time I was producing a series of shows in San Francisco um, in like the sort of some dingy theater. And uh, I was like, oh, I was you know, hosting a show that I had produced. And he said, well, why aren't you doing a show for Gong? And I was like, I don't know, why not? And he said, you need to do one. And then he walked me over to Udi And he said, I think that Sarah should do a show. And he said, okay, come up with something and then you can make it. And that's where I came up with my Life After SDR series. And so suddenly I had, I did that before I ever got like, you know, LinkedIn famous. I had just this idea for a series of what can you do after you've been in SDR. And um, they just let me do that. And then I wanted to run a blood drive. So I ran and organized a blood drive and I didn't have to, I didn't have to like, ask anyone for permission or go through a bunch of like hoops they were just like yeah sure we should run a blood drive go for it or i um i thought that gong should have a band room because there's a ton of people who are musicians and so i was just like hey me i think it'd be cool if we had a band room he was like yeah go for it and then i saw him like later and he was like where are all the instruments and i was like well i I don't have a budget he's like uh five thousand dollars go for it. So I've like bought $5,000 worth of instruments <laughs> and set up a band room. And like, now we have a band room that no one can use because we're all in <laughs> shelter in place. But it was like those things where it just, I was just empowered to do like, if I saw something and I thought there should be some kind of, of change, if I just brought it up with someone, as long as it made sense, it wasn't going to like, <laughs> wasn't going to burn the building down they're like yeah go for it
2: <laughs> do so it you, you mentioned producing like theater shows and stuff tell tell us a little bit about your your early life and, and the winding road into into sales
0: oh sure yeah so theater,
2: um were you a theater kid
0: yeah i was a theater kid i was really a speech and debate kid i was like wow. uh, a mega speech speech and debater so but like i did i did the um The act, so speech and debate is a very complicated activity, and most of what speech and debate is, is there's debate, but then there's speech, and speech is limited preparation events, it's public address events, and it's also interpretation events, and the interpretation events are all acting, and so that's what I did. I was like an interpreter, and I did a little bit of public address, and I wanted to do limited prep, but they were like, you, you're not good at that, you can't, (laughs) no thanks, (laughs) so (laughs) Um, so I did speech and debate through high school. I was really bad, but my sister was a state champion. She's five years older than me. I have three sisters. So one of my, two of my sisters are state champions, but my oldest sister was, and I was like, I want to do that. So I, I worked really hard and I eventually won states and then I went on and got second at nationals and that got me a, a scholarship to do speech and debate for Western Kentucky University. And they have a really good speech and debate team. And so did I, I did. Your
1: sisters, did your sisters ever place nationally?
0: My sisters didn't place nationally. My oldest sister Jenny didn't go to nationals because she was and doing. So, and so, is
1: that, is that a source of pride for you? Do you like to uh, remind me of that?
0: I don't. I wouldn't want to start a fight with my sister. <laughs> that would just make it miserable. She's still older than me, so she can remind me of all the things embarrassing things that I did when I was little. So that's yeah. like it's just. You still, you,
1: still, you still came in second place at nationals.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but that opened a lot of doors for me. And so I did speech and debate, and then I ended up working for the National Speech and Debate Association. Then I coached speech and debate um, at a private school called St. Mary's Hall, um, and we had a couple national finalists. And then I was like, you know, I'm tired of uh, just like coaching other people to be good at acting. I think I'll go be an actor. And um, my brother works for a company called Twilio, and he lives out here in the Bay Area. And so I could either live with him or the sister who teases me. <laughs> she lives in LA and I thought, Oh, I like him better. <laughs> He's nicer. <laughs> so I, uh, I went and slept on his futon and, um, I was an actor in San Francisco for two years, which basically meant I did a bunch of odd jobs and, um, I did a lot of shows, but I didn't really get paid. And, um, that's how I ended up in sales is cause I was just, I was working 80, 90 hours a week as a barista and the front desk girl at a startup. And I was those two jobs because it had free food involved. And then I'd go to rehearsal till 10, 11 PM at night. And I was really tired. And I thought, I bet I could make more money and like actually save, save some dollar bills. How did
1: you choose sales? What, what clicked for you to go? You know what? I think I want to go do that. Cause I would assume you could have gone to marketing. You could have got, I mean, you've got a personality, right? Like there's, you know, you've got something there. The speech and debate thing seems to, whether you want to write copy or edit copy or be in sales, like what made you choose sales?
0: Well, sales has the lowest barrier to entry. Like marketing people are like, Oh, you are a middle school teacher. You can't, you can't come here.
2: (laughs) They're too too good for us.
0: But if you tell someone like, Oh, I did these gritty things. I was barista and I got up at four in the morning and I used to jog to the BART station so I could open up the coffee shop at four 30 and you know, like, I got a lot of burns from all that coffee I spilled on myself. <laughs> They're like, oh great, you're gonna wake up early and make dials? Awesome. You can come be on our team.
2: <laughs> what do you think would happen in other departments if, if they lowered their barrier to entry and took more chances on people the way sales leaders take chances on people who've shown a lot of grit and done a lot of odd jobs and you know worked their tail off? I'd be Thank curious you. if if what customer success teams and marketing teams would look like, you know?
0: I think that it would, it would just, I think that they would probably have better teams. I think it's, I mean, we know, like because science and data says that when you have diversity, diversity of background, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of gender, then you have, then you end up producing more revenue, especially as those people move into leadership positions. And I think, you know, I think, yeah, you need to have, like, you need to be qualified to be a doctor. But um, I think that a lot of the qualifications to be in customer success or in sales or in marketing, at least at the entry level point, have more to do with your ability to, A, be gritty and work through challenging moments. B, think creatively um, and, and have, you know, some critical problem solving skills. And like, C, communicate. And those are all soft skills. So...
1: So you, it's interesting, you said earlier, you're an introvert, yet you chose sales, <laughs> right? And, and, and but, but I can also see too, like, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody who's done debate to the extent you have, and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, I should go to every college who graduates kids from you the should. debate and put them on the sales team. Like that's just you 100% so smart, right?
0: Yeah, when I mean, you- that's, that's like the best problem solving. That's, it's so much critical thinking.
1: When did, when did you go from, okay, this is lowest barrier to entry to, oh, wow, I actually like, I like this. This is cool.
0: It was at Gong. So, um, at my first company, uh, it was, it was not fun. I didn't have, um. A, a lot of, I was just bad. Like I was just a bad SDR. Like I, I I make cold calls. I had all these connects and I couldn't convert them to actually sitting down and having a meeting with me. And then if they did take a meeting with me, I had to qualify the call even more and get all of this like critical. I had to get my band. Um, (laughs) and then I'd pass my, I'd be like, Oh, finally. So if I could get someone to take a call and get Bant with me, that was very rare. And, and, and then from that conversation, pass them to an account executive, that was even more rare. And like the, you know, three times it happened, I, it was like a DQ meeting for, you know, they didn't have pain. Like, What are you talking about? They talked to me for 20 minutes on the phone. They seemed interested. What do you mean? They don't have pain. I didn't have any, like conceptually what those things were. And I, you know, would sit down with my manager and he'd be like, you know, what's your forecast? And I'd be like, I don't know. Well, what's your commit? And I'd be like, I don't, how am I supposed to commit to a number that I don't know how I'm going to get? I, I have no idea how to do that. I, f- I feel dishonest promising that I'm going to get a certain amount of meetings when I have no idea how to do that. And I'd be like, well, you know, Sarah, some people, art, art is, or, or sales is an art and a science. And sometimes it's a little more art than science. And I, I just don't know if you're cut out for sales. And I thought, you don't, you don't know, you don't fucking know anything about art. I am an artist. I am an actor. I have directed. I have produced. I've been in shows across this country. Don't tell me what a fucking art is. Like, oh God, it made me so mad. And so i just go back and be like, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. But I was terrible. And then, and then uh, somehow like Gong found me and I was like, well, they seem like if they're selling a tool that's supposed to make you better at sales, by showing you what the top performers are doing so you can replicate it. That's literally what Gong does. Either they're lying and it's, it'll just be a fresh start and I'll just kind of like struggle there too. But at least they don't, they haven't like watched me be crappy for (laughs) nine months or they'll actually be like, I'll, I'll get all this coaching and training that I've been hoping to get. And it turned out to be like the latter, but more. So it wasn't until like I started getting wins because it started what other, getting what other
1: questions? What other questions can we ask you where you'll get that animated? Because that was awesome <laughs> to watch. For those of you who are listening, you need to go watch this video because
2: this one's good. Just have to tell her she can't do something. She's got yeah, yeah. yeah. a good chip on her shoulder like some of the rest of us.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm in the middle of seven kids. So seven? I, yeah, seven. seven,
2: Richard. Wow. Yep. That means you have five more kids you need to produce. <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done buddy. Right after you, you. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh.
1: So that's that I can only imagine what holidays are like. And and on top of that, at least three of them are very good at
2: debating. Yep. <laughs> like, imagine, like, right? Yeah. You know, that's we, where they practiced. Exactly. they practiced. Oh yeah.
0: It. He's got to a fight to have literally a voice at the table. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my what, what is there left what is there left for you to learn and not just you but what is there left to learn for somebody who's been an SDR and been successful and is working enterprise accounts right and and I'm just always I worry that sometimes people get stuck and pigeonholed in the SDR role and companies don't promote fast enough to AE or take a chance on people moving to AE I'm just curious, like, from your perspective, what is there left to learn that, is, that would suggest that you are not ready to close deals on your own, if anything?
0: Uh, um, well, uh, I mean, I think there's always stuff to learn, right? Like, there's always... Yeah,
2: but specifically to the role that, that you're in.
0: Are you trying to like like uh, force my hand and say Ganga should be an account executive?
2: <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm just asking you a question. This is something. This is something that I'm like. The reason I asked the question is, it's something I'm pretty passionate about because I, I personally have like for years been very reluctant and resistant to creating SDR AE structure and roles in organizations because i felt like it was a disservice to SDRs because we weren't teaching them everything that they needed to know about sales and that if somebody was a really good sdr they're going to potentially get stuck because people would be unwilling to move them out of that role and advance them into an ae role and three they don't give them enough opportunities to actually demonstrate the skills required to be an ae so they can continuously just say well i'm not sure you're really ready yet so I'm just curious as somebody who's done, done well for themselves as, as a, an SDR, you're working big, huge, multiple thousand person company accounts. You've built a brand for yourself. Yeah, maybe I am asking you like, what the fuck is there left for you to learn in your particular role? And what is there that would suggest you are not able to or would struggle to close deals on your own? Because I, I, from the outside looking in, have a hard time believing it.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I think, sure. first, first off, I think like, I I think if there wasn't a pandemic happening right now, I would be closing deals, Good. but there is a pandemic. So I, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta adapt. You gotta adapt. <laughs> but like that being said, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, I think the problem, that, I think there's a couple, there's a couple problems with the wonderful world of sales development from like from what I can tell just from people talking to me on the interwebs because I'm a listening ear and I'm an SDR and just from, from personal experience. But I think that like one, we, we don't do a good job of like we as the sales community don't do a good job of preparing SDRs to become account executives. Right. And um, you know, like in order for me to become an AE at Gong, I have like a a pretty intense interview process that happens. The first 45 minutes is me running a discovery call with um, like a couple different personas in the room. And I need to make sure that I like achieve a couple different goals. Like, first of all, just getting to the, the main challenge and pain that the, that the VP of sales has confirming that it's the biggest like priority that they have to achieve all year, being able to attach that to some kind of number and then like I'll go and close them to, to get next steps. And typically like, They'll they'll make that part challenging for you, so I, I do that and that's 45 minutes long. And the second 45 minutes is I have to present my 30, 60, 90 day plan, and um, and you know tell them how I'm going to hit quota when I've never been an account executive before. So, it's a great
2: question. I always love asking founders and CEOs how they plan on taking the company public when they've never done it before.
0: Yeah, what do they say?
2: Well, <laughs> oh, they just give you that look like, how dare you ask me that question? And then I just look back at them and I'm like, now you understand how I feel.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think I'd be allowed to look,
2: um, You can audacious. just, <laughs> you're, you're, you're an actor. You can figure out how to put on the face that fools them. And you can, you know, be thinking that even if you don't display it.
0: Yeah, totally. So, so I just went and interviewed a bunch of other account executives who've been SDRs i I'm,
2: I'm
1: happy to volunteer. I bet, I bet, I could speak for Scott. We're happy to let you role play with us. <laughs> happy to, we're going to come in and we're going, to, we're going to teach you how to be super aggressive like us. And just yeah. say, don't ask me that question. So. Uh,
0: well, I, yeah. So anyway, that's what I got to do. So, so that's, that's the interview process. And I, and I feel like there's just got to be a way to prepare SDRs for those kinds of conversations. And, 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 you know, I think we just need to do a better job of making those conversation, our, having, yeah, get, having those conversations. Yeah.
1: Given, given the current state of the world, right? I know Gong and you guys are, culture's huge, right? Um, how are you guys trying to maintain that culture? What are you seeing the company do? You know, do you do, you do the Zoom launch where everybody just eats a sandwich on camera? Um, you know, anything cool that you guys are doing? Just cause I wanna share that with other people. Like I think people were looking for those ideas. Now
0: we're doing- couple things. Yeah, we we have our lunch and learn. We've always had a lunch and learn on Tuesdays where somebody presents something interesting and anybody who's like new hires, you know, we do two truths and a lie and all that stuff. So we've we've moved it to remote. Um we have uh monthly happy hours. I think they're bi-weekly now, but we have a happy hour that happens on Thursdays after hours that people can go to and they can drink on Zoom. (laughs) And then um there's like a couple different things that I think are super funny that, that they're doing. Um, there's a, a Zoom, uh, cooking, cooking on Zoom and a different gongster teaches how to make some recipes. So one woman, um, she's Lebanese and she taught how to make um, like her home recipe for hummus, um, and then um, the Russian good. guy on the team had his his uh, drink was like a cool and refreshing drink, and the, the ingredients are vodka and water. <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, like people are just there's like some funny stuff like that. Um, but I think like it's 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 challenging to maintain the same level of culture when everybody's chilling in there.
1: How do you how do facts. you work? How do you work through the grind, right? Like, there's a grind to being an SDR, right? Because it's a it's a repetitive process. You're sitting at a computer all day. You know, um, how, what are you doing to take care of yourself, um, physically, mentally? Like, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so I read the most of the Sandler book. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. And there's a piece of it where he talks about he talks about it like the whole time he's like doing some like 1960s psychology, but I think that parts of it still stand where we have to separate um, our role from our identity. So I'm, I'm Sarah and the role that I play at work is SDR and those things are different, right? Like I cannot, I'm not, I'm not fully, fully all of the things that I am in my role as SDR. And so when I experience rejection as a sales development rep, um, I don't really take it personally because it's just part of the job. and i think that that like that's a, a big piece of of how i get through the grind and how i get through like the repetitive motion is um separating mentally separating things i also um i tr- say that i like ford motor my day i always like you know all the calls happen at one point in time all the emails happen at one point in time all the linkedin touches happen at another point in time and that's how i can like maximize my productivity i also like have a notebook full of all the all my objectives for the day, both as an individual, what is my identity goal versus what is my role goal? So like, how many touches do I need in order to convert to a meeting? Like, who do I need to be going after? Versus like, my objective, my intention for today is to be respectful to my partner. (laughs) So, um, and then you do a historical review at the end of the day, like, was I respectful? No. (laughs) Um, And yeah, like I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is drink a cup of coffee and then I tell myself I'm going to (laughs) do yoga. Uh, Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And then I try to go on runs in the evening and sit outside. I think being outside is so, I mean, we know that the benefit of being outside is really good for your mental health. Um, Things like that.
2: I I think it's really hard. It's really hard for me at least. And I've been fighting this half my life, if not all my life, but it's really hard to separate your, self-worth from your productivity. Um, and as somebody who's like <clears throat> a type A or hard-charging, like super competitive person, um, you know, if you have a bad day selling or you have a bad month or a bad quarter or a bad year financially or whatever, or you're just not getting done all the things that you feel like you should be getting done. It's really easy to beat yourself up and, and get down on yourself about that kind of thing. And, I think an unspoken thing that I think a lot of people are going through right now is everybody's saying you got to be so productive during this time you should be learning new things trying new things exercise more read more do all this stuff it's like man I'm supposed to do all that and do my job at hundred percent and then for for me and Richard I don't know if you have kids or not but like we're also parenting like fuck man I gotta, I gotta remember that I'm worth more than my productivity, you know?
0: Yeah. And those things are, it's cumulative, right? Like we can't measure a lifetime in 24 hours, right? You can't, you can't measure like the value of a life or, and you can't measure the impact of a life. And I think, I think that those things, maybe it's because like of the way I was raised and just my life experiences, but I think like our, our value, we, we will never see the fullness of our own value. Um, or how we impact lives and um, if you take it from you know what is my productivity and what have I done and what are the how have I benefited from from my action today and you make it more about well how am I benefiting somebody else Um, and am I and and do I even know Um, like especially when I was a teacher there was there were so many times when you know I still have students who come back to me and talk to me about the experience I had in my class and if, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have their name on caller ID, I probably would have forgotten who they are. So I, I, I just think that, that that's an unfair way to treat yourself and an unfair way to to think about measuring measuring the value of your own life because it, at the at the end of the day, I don't think that, that that matters. I think it's more about how we treat people and how we talk to people and how we spend time with people that are immediately near us, that are immediately with us, unless about like, well, did I? Did I run my 20 miles this week? No, I came in at 18, now I'm a failure. Like, no, like, no one gives a shit.
1: How <laughs> are you listening to her? Are you, are you taking notes yeah, on this she's, because she's I know you.
2: Me. She's life coaching me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was, that's really cool, I appreciate it. So, um, well, I know we've, we've sort of gotten to the end. Is there is there anything you'd like to add or ask us? Anything we can do to support you? I know we asked at the beginning, but now that we've gotten to know each other, anything, we can do for you
0: now they spent some time biffling. i mean just you know if you know anybody who's got money <laughs> and needs gone no i mean i i think
1: the, the best thing about that excuse though is that everybody when this is over will have a lot of money because they didn't spend it so that <laughs> excuse is gone don't tell me you don't have any money I don't know, I've been
0: buying a lot of beer lately, I've been sipping on some IPAs, got a couple cases of wine, (laughs) you know, (laughs) go ahead, oh, I was gonna say, like, I I hear that the people who have stopped spending money on clothing and everyone is buying, like, home fitness equipment now, so it's like, you know, people are always gonna find money to spend on stuff, even if they're isolated.
1: I follow stocks and I invest in stocks and everybody's like, Oh, Apple, Apple, Apple. I'm like, you guys are, it's silly. Everybody's purchasing more on iTunes. It's about the services side and they're about to roll out new phones. Everybody's not spending money on other stuff. They're going to go buy a new phone, right? They're going to yeah. want the latest and greatest. So it's, <laughs> it's funny how that's happening. Right. The American yeah. culture of things still breaks through, you know, a pandemic.
0: Right? Totally. We are... maybe,
2: maybe you should prospect Richard. With uh, Gong and that that way um, we can dissect some of his calls and you know help his yeah. Business along a little bit. I'd be I, I would should, be I
1: I'd be thrilled to run a case study of have Gong dissect my sales calls. i had a heartbeat, I would do that.
2: Yeah. Oh, and there's awesome. your there's your next series that you can produce, Sarah. You right. Can, you, can, you can have a whole series with like the sales different. consultants and 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 what have you, and yep. listen to our calls that are recorded and, and just rip us to shreds how terrible we are
0: you're probably a lot better than me i'm just hanging out in sdr land
2: <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be terrible
0: i'll send you oh my calls God. we can do it together you're like, well here's my call and here's your <laughs> call and
2: <laughs> always happening
1: <laughs> all right sarah hey this was so much fun thank you so much for doing this we're really really glad to have spent some time with you um, it's been a lot of fun
0: yeah oh, thank you It's been great hanging out. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show.
1: (laughs) Of course. course. Take care. We'll talk again very soon, I'm sure.